It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Making It Personal podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Fersner, and today I am joined by a very special guest. Today we have Elizabeth Edwards. She's a teacher, and I'm going to give her an opportunity to introduce herself. So welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, um, I am a resource teacher at Devon Forest Elementary School in Berkeley County School District. Um, I primarily teach um, third through fifth resource, but I do kind of dabble in K2 as well um, for a few groups. And this is uh, finishing up my 11th year teaching. Awesome. Well, we're so happy to have you here. So let's get started with you telling us a little bit about your teacher story. What brought you into the profession and what is your why for being a teacher? Yeah. So I think like most teachers, we say either we had a really good teacher that we want to wanted to like emulate as we got older, or we had a really bad teacher that we wanted to do better. Um, and I feel like that's most people's reasons. And I very luckily, um, Followed in that first category. My first grade teacher was awesome. And literally like first grade, I went home and told my mama, um, I'm going to be a teacher. And then I just never changed my mind. After I graduated uh, high school, I worked at a summer camp called Camp Burnt Gin. And it is in the upstate. And it is a camp for um, kids with special needs. And I had never really thought about being a special ed teacher until I worked there. And that summer just like blew my mind, changed my life. It was, it wasn't really still is um, my favorite uh, summer memories, my everything, my favorite job I've ever had, like it trumps everything. And um, that was when I decided to go kind of the sped route. Uh, nowadays, my why is my daughter. She is almost three. And I think that when I started teaching, you know, my why was just, I love kids. I love teaching. I love education. I love learning. And then after having my own child, it really, um, my why changed to be the teacher that I want her to have, give the support, the accommodations, um, the love and attention that I want her to have, uh, and to really just make that personal all the time. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that and giving us that background context as to who you are and how you show up in the classroom. And speaking of which, I'll kind of ask now, regarding personalized competency-based learning practices, how did you begin implementing those types of practices in your classroom? So um, Berkeley County offered a a graduate-level course called... um, like transform learning. It was all about innovative practices for um, the next gen classroom. And I am honestly um, up for recertification next year and I needed some more points and I figured might as well go ahead and take this because it was being offered. Um, It was completely on a whim. Uh, I knew a little bit about personalized learning, but kind of um, fell into it. So with that class, what did you learn or what in your exploration of the class sparked your interest to say, hey, I want to actually take what I'm learning here and apply it or try it out with my students? So I think that initially it was just the excitement that our instructors had um, and the people in our innovation department here in Berkeley County. Uh, They are so like hyped up about this personalized learning. And so it's hard to be around them and not start to feel like, okay, like I want that excitement too. Uh, And then like getting into it, it just became very obvious that parts of 
it and like how to start it in your room, it was just, it was easy. It wasn't going to take much time. It wasn't going to make me like rethink my entire um, way I run things. It was just going to be like tweaking and really putting like in, intention on some other stuff in the classroom. Um, and then once I think I started with what seemed a little easier for me, all of a sudden I was like hooked and I wanted more, uh, because I saw that it was working. I love that you said that, um, you took the approach of making those small tweaks because oftentimes when we talk to people who are just getting started with this work, it can appear very overwhelming to just say, Oh, I need to overhaul everything that I've ever known and done when really it's not that it's taking, what we already know is good teaching and just making some subtle tweaks to make them more student-centered. Yeah, I was, um, when I really first started, I really thought that it was going to be a whole class on like teaching pathways and making pathways and all of like standards deconstruction. And truly that is not my favorite thing to do. Um, And we started more with like um, learner profiles and getting back to the basics of um, how do your kids like to learn and what's going on in their brains and how do they want to express themselves. And that kind of stuff obviously is super interesting and helps build those relationships. And, um, you know, it was mid third quarter when we started this class um, or I guess beginning of third quarter and you kind of need that, um, that like kickback from break and everything to get back to, to it. And it was just super awesome to start with implementing that again, kind of get reacquainted with my students and really figure out like what we could do in the classroom to make this semester different. Can you share some specific strategies or practices that you've implemented? I heard you talk about learner profiles. I know our colleague Heather has gone and and seen some amazing things regarding vision and SOPs. So could you tell our listeners who may be wondering like what specific things did you have to tweak or play around with in your classroom? What were those specific strategies? Awesome. So the first thing with the learner profiles, um, I gave out a new Google form. I love Google forms, things like that, um, that will put the data together for me nice and pretty, um, that I don't have to do a lot of um, extra work to see the information. Um, So we started with that. And then once I got it, instead of me just looking at the data and loving it, and um, I do, I love data. I could look at it all day and and examine it and move it around and everything. But um, I took it and then we made charts and we um, put stuff up in the classroom so we could all see, okay, like, look at more than half of us said we learn better in a quiet environment. So right now, are we being the classmates that other people need and being able to kind of go back to those. So it wasn't just me using the information. It was everybody seeing, um, and then having them, uh, like their names were on post-its and they could move it. Cause you know, some days they come in and, and they want it to be louder and they're ready to move around, <clears throat> but other days they come in and they've had a bad morning and they, they, they really are looking for that quiet environment. So then we could look and say, Hey, look at today. Almost everybody is like really hyped up. We want to move around. What can we tweak today's lesson to make sure that we get some movement, things like that. So we could work together. Um, The very like fluid learner profiles. We also, yeah, the SOPs, those standard operation procedures, um, probably like my favorite thing. It's not even different than having the rules for the classroom, but once we learned about it in class, I basically, basically every class of mine decided that we would redo all of our routines to fit kind of that outline because it was just fun 
mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And they, and they're so much more involved with it. And even though it was basically the same rules and expectations that we had had the first semester and that we had had prior to doing, for, to me doing this course, like it was just, um, everybody was so much more um, engaged in it. Just like something little like that. I was, that was quite surprising to me, but very much appreciated. So you had your students kind of help um, create those standard operating procedures. What kind of procedures were they and how did that kind of help with the class flow? Yeah. So we looked at when you enter into the classroom and when you leave the classroom, what is expected of you and um, how do you know what group you're in? Um, Because I am a resource classroom. I have kids in and out all day, every day. And um, some leave before others and some, you know, have the, the longer time and things like that. So it kind of helped us remember uh, again, like, okay, so when you leave and you leave 20 minutes before everybody else, everybody else is still working. So the, those SOPs say that you can wave quietly to the class, but you can't say bye to every other kid in the classroom and then slam the door. Um, just kind of uh, a visual too, because then we posted them to help us remember how to be respectful to our classmates. Um, because we were able to just take everything back to, we have this, this exists because we want to learn and we want our classmates to learn too. But we also did like SOPs for um, when you do independent work, when you do small group with me, um, with the class, I also really started to try to implement um, student-led small groups. And we had a lot of SOPs for those because we hadn't done student-led small groups prior to me taking this class and trying to implement it. Um, So we had a lot for that because it was new to all of us and we kind of had to mess with it. So, you know, we had a a few and then we would look at it and say, okay, today what worked, what didn't work, what do we need to do different for next time to kind of tweak them uh, because we were all learning together with that. Now, student-led small groups, that's very interesting. (laughs) Tell Tell me a little bit more about how those are going and how you started with implementing those. Those were going okay, depending on the day, really. Um, I chose a group who to start implementing it with that was, um, they were pretty independent already and uh, kind of self-starters. And they enjoyed having more say um, with the student-led small group. We would pick one person to be like the leader that day. And we would always kind of switch up who got to be that leader. And they loved having that power. Um, they loved getting to be the one to say, oh, I think that that's wrong or, oh, I think that's right. Uh, and they'd come and ask me like, oh, well, can I give everybody a piece of candy? Cause they worked really hard. Right. Like they like very much, um, they start to embody that, like, um, the teacher, um, aspect in it. So I think overall it went really well. Um, it's something I can most definitely get better on. I very much am still in the beginnings. I think of all personalized learning stuff, like, um, cause like I said, I use that with maybe one or two small groups in next year. I'd like to be able to start with, um, expectations and start with activities and that can, um, make that a norm from the beginning of the year. Yeah. But I think that's awesome. Just that you even have a starting point and that you're trying new things, even if you're starting small, like you said, from the beginning, and then just kind of scaling and growing on top of that. It's awesome. So as a um, special education teacher, you work with many students across various grade levels and classrooms all at one time. So how have you leveraged this new knowledge of personalized competency-based learning practices to support this in terms of that student ownership piece? So with the student ownership, with things like the standard operation procedures, that 
kind of started it because they were the ones to um, either come up with new expectations or to, you know, they remembered what the expectations were prior. They were the ones that put it down. So they knew what their, uh, their day, their assignment or whatever, what the expectation was. And that was kind of our go from place or our launch launching place. And then when it comes to other teachers and their ownership, I guess that's when the pathways really started to become necessary. Um, now that I think about it, because in the resource, like we are the supplemental instruction. Um, so their primary instruction is in with their gen ed teacher. And then when they come to me, it's what else do they need? Where, where in that skill are we lacking? Um, and so with the pathways, they were able to test into the different skill and then go from there and really decide on what activities they were going to use to, to learn or relearn the information. Did they need more one-on-one teaching or did they need, um, help from a gen ed peer? Did they want, um, to go to a different classroom to hear it taught in a different way? Like there's all these different things. And that's when I think they really started to get that ownership and to learn how they learned best. Everybody wanted to say, Oh, well, we learned best from videos. Like every single one, that was what they said. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning. And then I said, okay, well, I have a bunch of these ed puzzles. I have um, some YouTube videos, go ahead, learn it, and then do the activity. And half of them came up to me afterwards. Like Miss Edwards, I have no idea what's going on. I said, okay, well, this is how we learn that we actually learn better when we can ask questions. So we, um, and then we would go from there and then maybe watch the video again. And all of a sudden it makes a lot more um, sense. Yeah. I love that the students are also, it sounds like they're able to grow that autonomy and then that advocacy too, of understanding who I am as a learner and then being able to advocate for what I need at a given time. And it's a slow process. Like when we think about students who have, you know, been in the education system for a long time, who've kind of been in the background and not really saying anything, um, it is definitely a shift, but I think that's awesome. So what impact has implementing these um, various student-centered practices actually had on your students? And have you noticed any transferable skills that they've taken from the things that they've done in your class and applying them in other classrooms or at home with their parents? I think um, that they, I can think of a few specific fifth graders who seem more uh, competent, I guess would be a good word to say. They seem more competent asking for help and they seem more confident in saying, no, I don't need help when they don't need it. Um, they're not so like maybe wishy-washy. And I think that I've seen way more interest in things, um, way more want to come to me and say like, Ms. Edwards, what if we did a project about this? Ms. Edwards, what if we did this next time? Like they, they seem more engaged, um, about what we're doing in class. So it doesn't seem so one-sided that I'm all like, I'm always the one making the decisions. Um, and I definitely am that teacher who like very much control. I like the control of my classroom. Like we're sitting in our seats We're you know, we're nice and we're quiet and, and whatever. So like, this has definitely been a very big change for me, even just like personality wise, but seeing some of them really grab onto this, it has made me way more excited about 
continuing this journey um, for myself, but then like more confident in how they're going to do next year in middle school, even because they seem like they are more prepared to like be their own person and be more independent next year, which I think is really important and something that a lot of our fifth graders struggle with, with that transition. Absolutely. What go-to resources help you a lot on this journey as far as blogs or authors or books or even any other courses that your district may offer? Yeah. So we have people at the district office that are in our innovation squad. Um, they have all been wonderful. And like there are quite a few of them and I can email any of them and like get responses right away. And they have all these ideas and, and it's awesome. Um, I also have two other teachers in the building who ha- were already using Pathways and who had already kind of introduced that a little bit. So I've, I've had them. I have read... John Spencer and AJ Julie, is it Giuliani? Yes. Um, so I just finished reading their book, Empower, um, and I am a bit of the way through Empowered at a Distance. Um, and I really like everything about that book because it's not um, it's not boring. It's not like a boring textbook where you're just, you know, trying to take in information and there's a bunch of words on the page. Um, it's right. pictures and it's exciting. And I think it's another one of those books that kind of help you be excited about putting something new in your classroom um, and not so much dreading it. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm sure um, our listeners are always looking for those good resources and things to help them along their journey. So thank you so much for sharing that. That book is a book that we definitely recommend across the board to any educator to read for sure. So another question I have for you is how do you connect or collaborate with other gen ed teachers regarding students you share, even regarding pathways that you said that you're working on? So like I said, I do have two teachers here who um, have been doing pathways for quite a few years now. So that it's always, it's always nice when you're not the first one trying to learn how to do something um, for sure. And I very much lucked out with having them, um, I think that when it comes to collaborating with the pathways and what to do, a lot of that had, um, they've already done a bunch of differentiation in their classroom. So it was being able to look at how they're differentiating things already for the kids when they're in there and then taking that and breaking it into even smaller parts for when they're with me for that supplemental instruction. Um, So that way, what we can do can always um, complement each other Mm -hmm. and um, work to get the my students um, meeting those genetic expectations. And I definitely feel like when it comes to pathways, I'm way more comfortable with it uh, when it comes to math skills. I think those are a little easier to, to divide into, um, into that kind of outline. And it's been so far for me much easier to, to work with pathways um, between me and like the gen ed teachers with like the men. And I think that's because it is like, so everything is stacked on top of each other, you know, so it's easy to kind of break easier um, to kind of break down. Okay. Okay. A lot of folks who listen in or um, just folks in the field who are interested in making a change, especially with us ending this year and going into our next school year um, are trying to figure out what are some shifts that I can make to make my teaching experience enjoyable and also that of my students, their learning experience even more enriched. So what's your advice on how to get started? Well, um, if you're in Berkeley County and the class is offered again, I would say take the class hands down. Like that's the number one thing to do because it's wonderful. Um, I think this summer reading that book in power um, is, is an easy summer read. Like I said, it's not like you're trying to read a textbook and get all this new information. And I think that 
reading something like that and getting excited about it is that's like the first step really because if you can't be excited about it then even the little changes aren't going to do anything it's just going to feel like yet another thing on our already overflowing plate um and then i think just start with the learner profile um one that you post in the classroom so that way you can um start tweaking the environment that way just so so it's such a little thing to start with and then it has such major um, outcomes from it when you can go back and say like, look at this is our class together. Um, look at how different we are and look at how this, like how similar we are with how we learn with what we're interested in. Uh, and I think that that is just like a really great first step. Um, and then, cause everything follows after that, your flexible seating, what kind of flexible seating do you need? Do you need them to sit together or do they want to be independent? And then you use that to make the the pathways, um, because do they want videos or do they need face-to-face? Do they like worksheets or do they want boom cards? Like everything can stem from your learner profile. Um, and it's also just a really great first week of school activity when we're trying to learn our new students anyways. Now give us the rundown again on setting up that class-wide learner profile. And I love that you, um, you're bringing this up because oftentimes when we think of a learner profile, we think of like one little form that students fill out at the beginning of the year and then we tuck that away in the drawer and then we may not never see it again. But you're talking about like a living, breathing, like on the wall profile. Can Mm -hmm. you talk us through like what that looks like? What kind of questions or prompts you have on that? And again, I heard you mention sticky notes. So talk us back through that again. Um, So I was always that person who had that that um, learner profile that was more just a get to know you sheet that went into my drawer and then I forgot about it. But um, the learner profile that I used this year and that I'm going to kind of tweak and uh, make work for next year asked questions like, um, what kind of environment do you need to sit in? Uh, Do you like sitting independently or in groups? Um, Do you uh, like to sit? What kind of flexible seating do you like when it comes to like, do you like the chair or the standing desk or um, do you like the, uh, the floor seats, things like that. And then we used, um, just a few specific ones. So I really kind of focused in on the noise level in the classroom and the partner work, how best you learned with it. Was it individually with partners or in group? And then we made those into like posters and then every name got a, um, every name got a post-it and we put them on the, on the poster. And then, um, and I did it initially looking after the, the form they filled out. And I said, okay, so this is our class. This is what we said. You know, when it was, it was like 50 to 75% of them um, liked it to be quieter. Um, so I'd say, okay, so when we're in class and there's a lot of extra talking or like shushing, stuff like that going on, um, are we helping this environment? And we'd mm-hmm. go back to that. Um, and then periodically I'd let them come in and say, okay, like today, let's, um, let's look at these questions again. How are we feeling with what we need to do today? Um, and then they could move their sticky notes and, um, often it stayed the same, you know, similar that they'd say, no, I, you know, this is working for me. And we would, um, say, okay, well, let's make sure that today we work together to make an environment that helps us all learn because I think it's important for us to work together, you know, to really instill that into them. And especially with my kids, some of them have been together since like preschool Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they get pulled for this time. And, um, they've been in the same group 
you know, they're in fifth grade now and they've had these same groups. So they know how to push each other's buttons and they know the history. They know family drama. They know everything about each other. Um, so reminding them that like, this is our safe place and we're working together for this environment um, is something very, very much needed um, in this class. I love that example so much. Thank you for sharing that. And also thank you for everything else that you contributed to this conversation. Uh, The last question that I have for you, though, is if anyone's listening and they want to get in touch with you or follow your personalized learning journey, um, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, um, I think probably email is the best way to get uh, in touch with me. Um, So it's just Edwards, E-D-W-A-R-D-S, and then E. So Edwards E at bcsdschools.net. Um, and I definitely, I mean, I love talking about it and um, I'm, I feel like a little bit like imposter syndrome going on here because I am so new to it and, um, and it's all so much, <laughs> um, but I truly have enjoyed the class and, and really seen differences in my room. So I'm very much open to helping anybody or at answering questions and directing people to next steps for sure. Absolutely. And um, definitely everything that you've shared has been awesome. And that's what this is all about. It's all about elevating the voices, sharing where everyone's at. And it doesn't matter if you're at the beginning or the middle. And I feel like no one ever reaches the end because we're always learning something new. We're always hearing what someone else does and we're getting inspired. And that's that's what it's about. So Thank you so much for this time. I've really enjoyed this and I know our listeners have too. So we'll be right back to close things out. All right, educators, we know you all are working hard day in and day out to meet all your students' needs. The SCDE Office of Personalized Learning wants to celebrate you and the work you're doing. We wanna help tell your stories, share your processes and the artifacts you create as you work to put students at the center of their own learning, but we can't do it without you. So send us your celebrations, stories, processes, or artifacts to personalizedlearning at ed.sc.gov, tag us on Twitter at personalizedsc, or reach out to your Office of Personalized Learning Regional Coach at personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. We can't wait to see what you send our way. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Connect with the Office of Personalized Learning by visiting our website, personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!